0: Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants and how they found their own software success. And now let's get started with the show. Hi everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to thirty thousand journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have forty-five developers waiting to get your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Introducing today is Dean Sweetman, founder and CEO of Tithely, which provides the tools you need to engage with your congregation online, stay connected, increase generosity, and simplify the lives of your staff and congregation. Before launching Tithely, Dean was involved in the ministry for more than 30 years. During this time, he planted over 50 churches and raised millions of dollars in funds. He will share more about how Tithely came about, how they were able to fund it, build the MVP, navigate their zero to 30,000 thousand MR journey and beyond. How are you today, Dean? Hey, Giotty. Yeah, how yeah, are you? Yeah,
1: you're breaking up a little. Uh, good to be okay. with you today.
0: Yeah, likewise. Good to be with you. So if you could just maybe give a quick intro on who you are and your background, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, I was born in Australia, actually, and you know, grew up in Sydney surfing and had an encounter started going to church, became a Christian, and then I was the youth pastor, and then I was traveling as a missionary, and and it really kind of shaped a, a lot of who I am, obviously, and changed the, the direction of my life. I wanted to be a professional surfer, but that wasn't to be, so I, uh, I end up doing missions out of Australia into Asia and Africa for about 10 years. I was doing real estate at the time to kind of fund everything, and then... In 1996, uh, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, of all places, and planted a church. And subsequently, over 20 years, planted you know about 60 other churches. And so, that was kind of the backstory of you know how I got kind of started in tech. And it'll all link together in a minute. But that was like I, I call that 30 years of preparation to do what I, I feel like I was really supposed to do in kind of the second phase of my life. That's very interesting.
0: You mentioned. You had an encounter. Can you can you kind of go into the more details about what you mean by that? I imagine you're some sort of an encounter with God. Is that what you're
1: talking about? But
0: I'd like to hear that story.
1: Yeah, you know, I didn't really grow up in church, but I kind of was doing a little odd jobs on the side. I met this guy who's a real character, and we ended up surfing together a lot, and he became a Christian. And, you know, it just, I wasn't really looking for anything in that moment, but... He kept pestering me to, to go to church, so I did, just to keep him quiet, and, uh, and really just had a transformative moment. You know, when the gospel is preached biblically and truthfully, and you have a little bit of an open heart to receive what that message really is about, it penetrates you. And so then, you know, I gave my life to Christ. I was 17 at the time. And. You know, then you just, then your behaviors change and your thinking changes. And, you know, the gospel, the good news really, once you receive it, it opens up all kinds of possibilities because you discover that God has a plan for your life and it's probably bigger than the plan you had. And so then you start to pursue God in a way and try to kind of walk out this pathway because God's given everyone gifts and talents and abilities. And as you discover who you are in Him, that's when you really, you know, have a shot at reaching your highest potential.
0: Okay, it sounds like this this belief that you have in, in, in higher purpose probably had a big thing to do with launching the SaaS and the success that you felt
1: with the SaaS, would you say that's correct? Definitely, I, I mean, you know, the first thing we built, ba- well, actually back in 2012, the iPhone had come out and the App Store was populating and I remember downloading the Starbucks app and putting my credit card in it, not really knowing what I was doing, like not understanding digital wallets and payments within apps. I, I just, you know, I was very kind of techie, always inquisitive around technology. And then I bought a coffee. You know, I went to the Starbucks. In fact, I went to the counter and said, I'd like to pay with the app. And the girl didn't know what I was talking about, it was so new. And she goes, I'm not sure we do that. And I said, yeah, just ring it up and there's your infrared and I'll I'll put this in front of it. And uh, lo and behold, it worked. And so that was kind of the catalyst for an idea I had around making giving in the church that easy, i.e. with a mobile device, doing it anywhere, anytime. And that was, uh, and I was very fortunate. I had my older son at the time. He was an engineer and he was a kind of genius, you know, video game playing kid. And uh, I said, you know, can you go away and think how we're going to build an app where we could take payments and put them in the church bank account? And about nine months later, he came back and and said, Dad, I got this approved on the app store. That was in 2000, late 13, I think, or 14. And then literally, I just stood up in front of my own church and I had the MVP right in my hand. And first month, tens of thousands of dollars started coming in. And then I had, you know, ministers are very networked and connected and you go to conferences all the time so i had a bunch of friends and i got them to download the app and use it in their church so the first iteration of building product market fit having this mvp that is actually working in the wild it was really a great beta testing ground because i could do it within my own congregations and and friends of mine so it spent a year really just as a hobby and that was that was how we got started
0: that's a great story can before you go it get too far into that i'm curious um your son when he developed this do you remember what he developed this in was it uh, at this time it's, it's is it like um what tech what tech stack was it back then so we're talking about seven years ago
1: right yeah we i mean it has changed so dramatically the company that i that i think we partner with isn't even around anymore around the same time that we that we kind of i decided i really wanted to build this business stripe had just you know kind of launched their initial products and so we we got on stripe very early that was a big part of you know stripe doing what they did making it easy to connect our apis and and run a payments platform in your app so that was the and still today we run billions of dollars you know through our stripe account through stripe okay do you Okay, I think we'll get into sort of the business model, but are you still
0: are you still speaking in front of a congregation today, or how do you sort of fulfill that aspect of your life? Because I imagine that's quite rewarding in itself. Is there, is there still an element of that in your day-to-day living, or are you just full-on with the SAS?
1: Yeah, you know, I stepped out of the kind of classic ministry role, pastoring a church, leading a church, when I got our first little round of, you know, friends and family investment. Uh, back in 2015, and just really felt that at that stage of my life, I was 50. I felt like this was, you know, I'd always been good at raising money to help build buildings and, you know, for missions. And, and I was a lover of technology. And plus, you know, there was a timing thing that was very fortunate that, you know, six years ago, church had been, churches had been getting giving via their website for, you know, probably 10 years before that. You, you've got, authorized.net, you've got PayPal, you had options to do it, but it was kind of clunky. it didn't talk to the other systems that churches use. and so the timing was really right. And then the initial team of me and my son and, and the two early investors who now uh, you know work for the company, you know it was just a, a really coming together in the right moment to, uh, to really pursue this.
0: So how much feedback were you giving your son? You make it sound like he was just sort of went off and did this on his own, but he must have been talking to you about iterations and things like that. Can you oh, yeah. describe that MVP phase, like how he did that? Was he going to university for computer science or what was, what was he, his was he, he didn't,
1: you know, he, he came to me, he was a very smart kid and one of those math geniuses, you know, we've sat him at a piano when he was five and you know, he just picked it up. He could play any instrument. He just had that kind of brain. And so, no, he was um, building websites when he, when he was a teenager for my friends at the golf club and making great money at that. And, you know, he, he went to college for two, in the first two weeks, he's like, dad, they're teaching me stuff I've known for five years. This is gonna be a waste of my time and your money. And I said, well, if you can get a job as an engineer, you can, you can skip college and he found a job as a junior engineer, I think back then making like $45,000 a year. Uh, we are still in Atlanta then. And he was happy as a clam. And then, he, you know, over that kind of four or five year period as we started developing this, he, he jumped around and moved to some big agencies, ended up at Turner Broadcasting, working on things like golf.com and basketball.com. And, and so, you know, he really grew as an engineer and in the skill and then I was able to you know together we piggybacked on the back of that knowledge and he's just one of those kids if he just if he didn't know it he'd go and work it out and make it happen. It's great a great resource to have
0: obviously for your MVP. Did Huge. did you pay him for it?
1: Well big payout for him was when we took on our first you know round of funding and I think like a a million dollar valuation or whatever and you know we've got all this common stock that really isn't worth anything at that point but no he we both he was building it and i was selling it and uh we just we did it together okay is he what's his
0: what is his involvement now is he still involved with the company yeah
1: yeah he's he is, uh he's okay. he was our cto okay uh for a while he's he stepped down he's still on the board is still advising he's since you know started his own fund and and is involved he, he lives in Nashville his name's Barnabas Sweetman and he's uh, he's doing angel investing and uh, amongst other things building other products but yeah he's still on our board and, and a close advisor
0: okay and is, what's his is he um, as deep deeply religious as you are I think you're breaking up there a bit okay that's fine we have an editor so we'll, we'll, we'll edit through can right. you hear me now yeah yep um, is he religious like you are? I mean, oh, sure. is, yeah, he is. Okay, so, yeah. so faith and Both is my a... sons
1: grew up in the church, and my, my church was very kind of modern, evangelical, um, and, you know, we always made sure church was fun for our kids. So they love going, and he has a deep faith, and beautiful wife, two beautiful kids, and yeah, they go to church in Nashville.
0: Okay, great. And so, and so is he playing music in Nashville? I mean, that's, Nashville to me is like a big music city. Is that what totally. drew him there? Uh, yeah, he, so he's he, in bands too. He's in bands, and
1: he's done he's done all of that and loves it. And he just went back to recording again. He's he got the itch too. He's like thirty three now, okay. and so he was in the studio earlier this year doing some stuff. So he, he still it's a hobby for him mostly.
0: Yeah, that's great. So describe the friends and family, and what you you mentioned that you had an app. Your the app is you mentioned it to your congregation. You were sort of asking them to um, give you know give their donations through the app it was very easy for them so all of a sudden you're collecting tens of thousands of, uh, of dollars for the church how what was the business model were you taking piece of the transaction or or how is how is that you know how did you fund fund yep. that initially um,
1: so early on we decided to make the app free there was some competitors starting at the time that were charging a fee on top of the the transaction typically 2.9 percent plus 30 cents to to process a transaction, and that's fairly standard right across the internet really. And so we decided to give the app away, give the account away, and then take a slice of that that 2.9. So we negotiated with Stripe, and we had a, a contract where as we grew the tiers, you know, as we broke through another threshold, our costs would go down, of course. And, you know, it was in the early days, you're, I remember it was back in kind of early 16, where we had our first million dollar month right where we'd process a million dollars and that was a real milestone you know last December I think we did 120 million just in December so you know we're at probably 1.5 billion this year on just you know processing donations so but those early days of seeing those little numbers tick up it's it was a lot of fun and still is I bet. It, I bet. When you I can
0: imagine a million a month, so you were taking two point nine percent. Is that sort of how you were funding? It? Are you non? You're not. You're a for profit though, company. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We're for profit, and but you know we. One of the main things that we've tried to do is fairly price our products. We started with the free giving. We've since either built or acquired some other technology. We do custom apps for churches. We build websites for churches. We have. Uh, CRM so they can manage their data we have a media product we have messaging and email right so as things went on over the last few years the vision became not just to do have an endpoint giving solution but to have the whole tech stack that a church needs and so we've built most of what we want we're still looking at some other things but essentially we sell that you can get it a la carte very cheaply you know, we were doing text giving for $19 a month and we'd issue you an, an 800 number and you could, you know, give via text. And then we built messaging, you know, we sit on top of Twilio and SendGrid for all that. And just gradually as the product suite kind of built out, we the SaaS part of our business is, you know, $99 a month and you can have all the tools you need to run your church. And we very, very much focused on the SMB segment. And I'd call that the under 1000 Members Church—that is the about ninety percent of the churches in the in North America and and in around the world, in fact—and so we really went after that that small medium market and priced it accordingly. And so that's you know there was a lot of little things along the way that that caused us to be successful, but those are those are a couple of things we did early.
0: Okay, so so I, we definitely want to break that down because that was that's quite a lot of information on the early the early startup journey. So you went from. You're a mobile app, you're in the app store and when did you decide that you needed to have the software as a service aspect to? It? Was that immediately or how did how did the SaaS come into it?
1: In the first year we didn't really focus on it. It was just a bit of a land grab and trying to get customers and you know, making the product a bit better and you know, building up the website a bit better and But yeah, it was probably year two. There was a small app company that was, you know, I became friends with the owner. He was a pastor also. And uh, he decided he wanted to pursue, you know, his church. And and so I, we acquired that. And that just allowed us to, and Apple kind of changed the rules a little bit back then around what we call container apps where you can essentially spin out an app. It's all the same, except you're taking out, you know, logos and photographs and so on. But the, the kind of the architecture is the same. And then the, the Apple changed some rules around that, made it a bit more difficult, as they like to do. And so we pivoted in that, acquired that company, and then, yeah, we just started, you know, building church apps, which are typically replace the bulletin, right? You think of, traditionally you go to go to church and there's a paper bulletin. And, you know, a lot of work goes into all that and you got to print them and no one takes them home and they sit on the floor. So the idea of having, you know, con- me consuming content like, you know, the calendar and what events are coming up, you put it on the phone, and, but then that unlocks a bunch of other things. Now, if there's a, an event that I want to register and pay for, I can do it in the app. If I want to, you know, listen to the sermon that I missed, I can just listen to the podcast. So the church app was, uh, was the first thing we acquired, and, and still today, it's one of our very popular products. And of course, giving is always baked into everything. So if we build you a church app, it's going to have a giving button, like right next to the calendar button. And uh, the the big problem that we solved was well, there was two of them. One, you could you didn't have to be in church to give. And the second thing we solved was is which means you could give anywhere, anytime. The second thing we solved was easy setup of recurring giving. And I tried to do this for years in my own church and had tech guys in my church, and it was it was so difficult. But with like three clicks, even back then, the first iteration you could set up recurring and that was a real game-changer
0: who is that was that made easy because of stripe just sort of a you just said okay stripe already had this feature and you you just made it easy you put it in front of the face of the you know the, the congregation
1: yeah I mean you know stripe just give you a bunch of api's that you you know they've got all this kind of plumbing and infrastructure and we come in our software you know we make it look really beautiful we make it very easy to use you know the demographic of church skews older uh, although that's changing a bit but yeah it's if you'd make it simple uh, which we did which is essentially putting in an amount selecting a start date and then how often do you want it to come out is it Fridays is it every two weeks is it monthly like however you get paid and then once you do that you just hit the button and it's set and forget it's done so
0: this is a selling proposition to the other ministers what is the what's the, what are the minister what makes the users the, con, the people in the in the congregation what's their big sort of problems that you're solving uh, for them is it cuz i can't imagine coming into phone into a service i go to church as well not as much as you but i go uh, and i can't imagine looking at my phone to sort of Sing the hymns or something like that, or follow along with what the the readings right. are. What what are you solving for the users that, that actually are seeing well, the congregation?
1: And you know, you think about the early days of mobile. You didn't want kids having their phone in their hand. You didn't want people looking at their phone, checking their text messages. Now your whole life's on your phone, and so we we embrace the phone and the tech in the phone for all kinds of things, and so we encourage our customers to you know allow phone use in church because there's a bunch of other things you can do so you know the notes of the sermon you can put in the phone and I can literally while I'm listening to the speaker follow on and I can fill in the blanks I can you know kind of have this resource of listening and going through the, the sermon notes and then they're stored in the cloud forever for me and then when I come back I can go back and look at them obviously in the time of the offering you know, typically every church has a moment where they ask people to, to give and you pray. And, and so, you know, it's no different than saying, get out, get out your checkbook. And which is, you know, up until five years ago, of the $130 billion given to churches in the U.S. alone, the vast amount of it was check and cash. And so as everything started switching, right? You'd go. The old days, you're old enough to remember, you go to the gas station, you'd pull out some cash and you'd buy the gas. Well, now the credit card thing is in the pump, right? You never even walk in, you just go in and do it at the pump. Well, you know, everything had moved to credit card, except church giving, just about. There's not, there's not many other things that, that are still old school mm-hmm. check and cash. Yeah. And so the timing of that was the whole marketplace was moving to credit debit, and, and we did ACH as well. And it was just a matter of the church having to catch up. And often what would happen, especially a few years ago, younger people would come to the, you know, to the leadership and say, listen, I don't have a checkbook and I don't carry cash. So if you want me to give, you, you're you going to need to give me a, a way to do that. And so that's the early PayPal buttons on websites kind of came at that. But then with the rise of mobile, that's, you know, that's like the the nexus of, you know, awesomeness that where I've got this phone in my hand and you think about fast forward to today, you know, I literally, if I'm traveling somewhere, I've ordered my car with my phone. I've, you know, I've checked into my airline with my phone. I've got off the other side with another car. I order food from Chipotle. So it arrives in my house by the time I get home. I do Instacart to get my groceries done. I mean, I've literally used my phone like, you know, I've turned my, my air conditioning on. Like it's just endless, right? And that's just me taking a two hour flight from Park City, Utah to LA and getting my life in order. So when I arrive, everything's sorted. Well, it's just, you know, that's the way we live now. So uh, to, for a church yeah. not to embrace the tech is, is putting them behind the times and, and behind the curve and behind the ability to fund what, you know, their mission is, because if you don't allow people to give digitally you know, anyone under 35 doesn't know what a routing number is or hasn't got a checkbook. So that's a problem that's for right. them. Yeah.
0: You, you mentioned that some of the early apps, when you first came into the store, there was some competition around. It sounds like probably a lot of them were ministers themselves. How has that uh, market played out? for? Because, I mean, a $50 million a year company is, sounds like a pretty, you know, sort of a dominating force in tithing and, you know, these mm-hmm. sort of church applications field, how has that field played out now? How, are some of those competitors yep. still around? Um, sure. They are. So can you just tell me about the the sort of the the industry yep. itself uh, yep. and, and where you stand in
1: it? Yep, absolutely. So <clears throat> back in from 2012 to 2015, there was a bunch of mom and pop type operators like we were that saw the need because they were facing the need every day. And, and so different co- website companies or giving companies, little CRM database companies, and the VC guys saw this and through a vehicle that they created called Ministry Brands, went and acquired probably 40 properties, right? 40 companies doing all kinds of things. And there were some big ones. There was some big database management that big churches needed to manage data like any other business would. So that was one group. That was you know, a VC, private equity run. They never really kept the features up on the product. They didn't really support the product well, but it, it was this juggernaut. They tried to acquire us very early and, and we had different plans. And then we had another competitor who we still compete with today, they're called Pushpay, and they went a different route. They went and raised a lot of money, firstly on the New Zealand Stock Exchange, then they went to the ASX in Australia and raised a bunch of money Hired a bunch of salespeople, and really they went after the you know what's kind of known in the SaaS world as enterprise, right? We call that two thousand plus churches, like mega churches, and they did very very well at that. While they were spending all that money alerting the market to this new thing called mobile giving, we focused on the small medium, and we kind of coasted off the back of that spend. You know, I think they raised in that second offering like sixty or eighty million, and they were at you know, they had 80 sales guys just pounding the phones and and really, and we developed our product so you could be live in five minutes, no, no contracts. We made it really easy for you to get going. And so we slipped in behind that 2015, 16, 17. It was just a, we just grew organically. And we, we started our content marketing very early. And I remember my, my CEO, Frank Barry, he's He's like, you've got to write a blog every week, and nothing's going to happen for a while. But eventually, it's going to pay off. And I'm like, I'm writing these blogs, and I, don't, I like writing, and and nothing's happening. But sure enough, I you know, with my marketing manager yesterday, we had four hundred and eighty thousand views last month in our blog. So uh, really, that was very smart of back then to get us on the content marketing. Yeah. Or, you know, how, how many of those posts um, are some of the so original just, posts that you had? And, sorry,
0: how many of those posts were the original? some of the original long tail posts that you formed is a lot of that traffic
1: come from those early posts yeah yeah it's amazing you know i did i would write a weekly blog around you know how to take an offering at church right and what scriptures to use and how to preach them and uh, those things are still wagging it's amazing how uh, nothing really dies on the internet it stays out there forever and if it's good content and it's the it's, it's as good today as it was five years ago it's uh it really works. And so, and then you get more sophisticated, right? With your SEO and, and how we, you know, we all the search terms and people are searching text giving or church giving, you know, and, and so we, we got very good at being able to spend economically on capturing those search terms. And meanwhile, you know, so in answer to your question, there's a long way to say you've got a ministry brand, you've got push pay, you've got a couple of other smaller ones, a couple of other bigger ones that we call legacy, and us, and you know, we're very, we're probably one of the biggest. We have nearly thirty thousand customers, and and of the modern kind of platform, cloud first, um, mobile first companies, we're you know we're one of the prominent ones.
0: Oh, that's that's impressive. So, and ministry brands is still around private equity because they sound like they're kind of doing the same thing that you are with the purchasing of 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 assets. Do you find that that you're still sort of rubbing shoulders to them, or not really?
1: Not really. We don't really compete. We are going more up market now. Like being the dominant player in the, in the small medium market has afforded us the ability to now mostly by relationship. We have a lot of big churches on our platform, you know, 10,000, 15,000 member churches use us, but we just, we haven't really focused on that part of the marketplace. And, but we are starting to look at it now and uh, we've got a lot of uh, momentum and technology that we've built for the smaller church that still applies—it's just scaled up for the larger church. So yeah, we're, we're we're enjoying that journey while still serving that that customer that we really do well at—that's that small, medium church and churches that you know most people don't know this, but they think the church is dying, but there's probably on total there's probably about five thousand churches that get started in the U.S. every year. So you got some churches closing some churches merging, but there's a massive church plant. The Southern Baptists do 800 a year. The Assemblies of God do 400 a year. I mean, the church plant movement is is really robust and we give our whole platform for the first year to the church planter. So it's a bit like when Apple would you know get the uh, Apple products in the schools back in the day. And like 10 15 years later you go to these kids and they don't want anything else except an, an apple product right so we give the church planner all our sweeter products and uh, and eventually those plants you know go from 50 to a hundred and sometimes to a thousand and we go along for the ride
0: okay that makes sense how do you price for the um, the bigger churches is it is it by the user or do you is it by still by transaction on, on the amount that's given
1: I mean there's a SaaS kind of fee associated with a larger church they need different levels of support and onboarding but yeah essentially the 80 of our revenue is is by the payments okay so
0: it's by it's by the payment so it's that's how you're getting so you still charge the 99 per month but then the amount that's given through the, these big fifteen thousand congregations you're t- getting a bigger piece from for those tr- transaction fees on the amount that's given. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're putting $10 million a year through our platform. So it's, you know, I could charge them a monthly fee, but I'd rather just get them in the door and use our software, see how great it is, almost give the software away and have the payments run through our platform.
0: Okay, that's great. Can you tell me about some of the early decisions to to purchase some, some of these other aspects of your your software because to me, that sounds as a SaaS developer myself. That sounds like, oh well, I'm going to take in other people's headaches, or maybe it's a different tech stack. Can you sort of explain the process on on when you're purchasing these other assets and how you combine them into the platform?
1: Yeah, well, I had the fortune of not knowing how hard it is to integrate other software <laughs> into into your own platform. I, I didn't really understand that until I acquired a couple things. But yeah, that's the biggest headache. You know, if that's why we love to build stuff rather than buy stuff. But sometimes, you know, it makes sense. They've got a bunch of customers. They've got, you know, some tech there that you can piece and pull out. But it's there's always a journey of getting two platforms to be one. But we were very fortunate. The, the app company was only very small. It had, I think, 500 customers. And the technology was new enough and good enough where we could integrate it into what we, we built. We bought a small CRM with about 2,000 churches that guy ben he's he's our cto now all these guys work for us whenever we've done the acquisition it's usually with a very like-minded same mission type you know person and so the coming together of the culture is much easier than the coming together of the tech but then you get a bunch of smart people in the room and you get a 12-month plan and you execute it and you get there it's you have bumps along the way and you have upset customers and you know this is the way we used to do it over here and you're telling me I got to do it this way now and, and we try to minimize that as much as possible but i think overall where we have done well is because we're our mission the mission of the company is so aligned with the mission of the customer and the mission of the customer is you know to preach the gospel care and protect the people that god entrusts into their care and build a healthy local church in a in a community Our mission is to help fund that mission and to make that mission easier through technology. And so, and all all of our staff come out of the church. Like it's just, you know, so there's this alignment that is, you know, probably more than unlike any other business. And so when when we have had to, you know, put other tech stacks together and, and we have the little bumps along the way, we we just communicate very clearly to our customers. They they feel and see the care that we give them, which sets us apart from our competitors too, by the way. And then you're able to get through those challenges of you know bringing other you know technology into uh, into the platform.
0: Yeah. Would you say maybe that some of most of the success that you've had is due to the fact that you were a customer? I mean, you lived and breathed this problem trying to collect. And is right. that maybe what ministry brands didn't have?
1: Yeah, you broke up there, but I think what you're saying is the fa- the fact that I was in ministry for 30 years and my competitors were you know private equity-backed guys that were snapping up all these businesses, did that contribute to our success? 1000% it did. Knowing the intricacies of the problem that churches face day in, day out. Our churches are essentially a cash flow business. You get money on Sunday, you try not to spend it all before you get to the next Sunday. And so understanding that, you know, getting those those offerings and that giving to get into your bank account as quickly as possible and lots of other little things that, you know, just, you're exactly right. I was the customer. And so I knew and understood all the challenges that our customer faces.
0: Yeah, that's what it sounds like. What um, you mentioned, you mentioned going public uh, is sort of in the roadmap. Can you, can what, what's the sort of thinking behind that? Is it just sort of, to get more funding, so you can expand faster, so you can—I mean, this is like your life's mission, making it easier for churches to to yep. collect from their congregation. And how how is that how is that going with the with the? IP? Are you speaking to uh, p- potential underwriters right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, we are in a unique position. We're profitable. We have, the metrics are great. You know, all the numbers that you know everybody looks at are, are great our net retention is off the chart. Our churn is extremely low and, you know, we're still growing at a, at a, nice, uh, a nice clip. So, you know, I get probably, I don't know, 10, you know, VCs a week <laughs> sending me emails. We have had a couple of strategic investments in the last two years that have continued to allow us to accelerate. We hit COVID last year. That was a an explosive moment for us because literally you woke up and were told that you couldn't go to church. And if you didn't have a giving on a website, you were dead in the water. And so we we onboarded a lot of customers through COVID. Those cohorts continued to perform the same as all of our others a year later. And, you know, it just was a an instant problem that had to be solved. And, and we were the beneficiaries in a large respect to help those churches. Thousands of them came into our platform within like a six week period. And so, yeah, we, we just, you know, I've got developed good relationships with with some of the big banks and some of the, you know, the, the big private equity guys. And, you know, we, we wanna be the first faith-based technology company that's listed, you know, publicly here in the U.S., and um, that's what that's what we feel like. That's our our mission. No, that's that's great. You you mentioned COVID. I it,
0: I guess it really hadn't occurred to me because there's so much that you can do remotely to help these churches, right? So the minister can still give his 100%. his sermons yeah, well, on, on We start. On. Go sorry, ahead. Don? Well, I was just saying. So 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 the ministers can still run their basically their speak to the communicate with the congregations, collect. And survive through that. What was your, where were you at in terms of users before COVID? I just want to get an estimate of how much COVID really sort of you benefited from COVID.
1: Yeah. To your first point, you could literally run your church from your phone. You could do services straight to YouTube and Facebook, and the giving button was right next to you know on your on your website. Uh, and so that really did allow churches to continue on through and it turned, we thought it was going to be weeks and then it was months. And, you know, here we are in the second year of this thing, but yeah, it, it was the technology. And as far as growth goes, it was explosive. We, you know, I think we onboarded. we were at like 12 or 13,000 churches at the middle of March in 2020, you know, literally in just six weeks, we had about 10,000 churches sign up. So we were all we were hiring and working, you know, 20 hours a day there for a while. It was a bit crazy, but we got through that. Because whilst we make it very easy for you to onboard, there there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes to make sure, you know, you're not a fraudster and and kind of you know we have to verify accounts. And we make it very easy for the user, but there was stuff that we'd automated that we found out when it was really you know kind of challenged on this kind of scale. The, those automations didn't work very well, so we had to do a bunch of things. Behind the scenes to keep it smooth, and we got there and we did it, and we we're better for it. That's good. so you you basically ten x
0: in a month essentially is that was in in March and April is that is that sort of what what I'm understanding?
1: Uh, yep, that was
0: it. it. Describe to me how that process went. I mean, how was that? To, I mean, that's very rare for you know SaaS companies to ten x in a month. How was that right. for you guys, and how did you prepare uh, for that? It,
1: it, it was stressful. You know, it it, it was. We watch our sign-ups, and we get you are getting 20 a day. And as the news was coming out, we we see these little jumps, and wow, there's 100 churches signed up today. And and then you know early March, then we just saw like 180, and and it's like so we're scrambling. And then when the first lockdown came, we I think I think there was a day there where we had a thousand churches in one day sign up. So then just subsequently there was, and of course you know most of these people they're not sophisticated when it comes to tech. They've resisted it, right? Because we'd been around for five years before that. And we're flying the flag along with other competitors. Like you need mobile giving, you need digital giving. And these people are the laggards of the laggards. They're resisting it. And all of a sudden they're forced to to have to do something. And we were going to get them eventually because, you know, it. that's just was the, the cycle was on our side. It just sped up the cycle, you know, probably two years and fo- literally forced thousands of churches to... Stop, like relying on cash and check and move to digital.
0: That's right. So, where would where were these people mostly finding you? Was it through were they just going through search? And so I need a remote platform to run my church. Was it mostly search, or where were were you running campaigns, or where were these? Sorry, man, were you I think mostly,
1: you're broken up.
0: What were most of the channels that you were getting? Uh, where were they mostly coming from? Was it through search, or were you running campaigns, or where were they mostly coming from during
1: this time? Yeah, you you know, we, we had a very good, we had a very robust SEO operation prior to COVID. And so, and we knew what we could pay for a customer, you know, with Google and, and Facebook and Bing and a couple, you know, Capterra. And so we just turned up the marketing dollar machine and they came flying through the door. The cost to acquire those customers, of course, plummeted because so many are coming in at once, but we had that all, all tuned up. You know, and that was part of our early success, and so it's just a matter of spending more money there to capture all of these searches that were coming, people finding us.
0: Okay, so so you went from a thousand, say twelve hundred users, roughly a little over a year ago, you grew to ten thousand in a month or so, and now you're at thirty thousand customers. Has the growth slowed down, or is it still is it leveling off, or or how are you how are you finding? I mean, because now you've got quite a lot yeah, of revenue, so you, so you know, can invest back through in. this. What,
1: what we yeah, we call this the post COVID bubble now. But just to clarify, you know, in March 2020, we had about twelve thousand customers. Today, we have I think it's twenty eight thousand. So it's there it was a big bump in growth, continued through the year. And then, you know, we're kind of back to our, we call our new normal, which pre-COVID, we're bringing on four or 500 churches a month. And that's what we're back to now. So, yeah, it made for a, obviously, a really big 12 months for us. But it it wasn't like we weren't, we didn't think we weren't going to be where we are today. It just happened quicker.
0: Right. It was just more forced. It was just more forced to uh, um, adapt due to the nature of the pandemic. So... Talk to me about churn. Why is churn, why do you, why do you attribute churn being so low? Is it because uh, the, um, the, I mean, what are some of the the things that you've done to reduce churn?
1: There's a few things. The product is good. It's hard to move. So once you have a giving provider and that data, you know, because we do a lot of things with it, right? So one example, at the end of the year, you can literally send the receipt with two clicks to every donor. The old days, you'd print them all out. You'd put them in envelopes. You'd mail them. You'd put them at the church front desk. And literally, the administrator can send all the receipting out in two clicks. So you're not going back to printing and labeling envelopes if you can email the gift receipt inside the software. That's one thing. Times that by about 100. And so the ease of which we make a lot of those administrative tasks faster and, and less laborious. And then the fact that you know we push all of this kind of income data straight into your QuickBooks account. And so now we're, you know we're, the, the money's coming through our platform, it's going out of our platform into your accounting platform and all the data around the people and who gave what and when they gave it and oh, how many kids they have and when their birthday is and all that good stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's very hard to leave.
0: That's fine, because we're still, trust me, because your site is local and my site is local, it's not gonna sound that bad, but I will actually wrap up now so I'll just kind of close off the show. You can hear me, okay? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dean, for we're coming close to the end of our hour and I really appreciate your time. Very fascinating story in a niche market that you know very well. Can can you tell us more about how people can find you if they want to reach out and and, and find out more about the product or more ask you more sure. questions about your your particular yeah, journey? Yeah. Just-
1: Tithe.ly is our website. Okay. And then I'm, I'm on Twitter, just Dean Sweetman or, or LinkedIn, if you want to track me down. Always happy to chat to other founders.
0: Okay, great. Thanks so much for your time today, Dean. Thank you. Good, good to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wortman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner.